0: Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. Today we are continuing in our series, which of course we're calling Through the Storm. And again, in case you're just joining us, we're just using this metaphor of a storm to describe the difficulties that we face in life. And we're talking about how God enables us, by His grace, to go through the storm and over the past few weeks, we've been looking at various types of storms that we face, and most of these storms will be things we say are not our own fault, like, for instance, the passing of May Miller. Uh, that's a storm that now comes upon a family, even upon a church family, and we must go through that storm. That's the kind of storms we've been looking at over the last few weeks. But I got an email from one of you, and I think rightly asked, and I was, we, we are going this direction today now, to ask, what about storms that I have created What about storms where I did something and it's really my fault and that's why there's a storm. So what about those storms in life that we go into that are partly our fault, mostly our fault, or are entirely our own faults? That's what today is about. And I'm really praying that today God's grace would come and speak into whatever that situation is for you, whatever that might be. I think there's going to be a lot of grace here today. May God do that. Just one particular type of person I'm thinking today of and praying for grace in today is those of you who have been divorced. Of course, divorce can be something that is not our fault at all, is when a spouse cheats on someone and ends the marriage, that, that's possible, but of course we talk with many people, I have talked with many people, who with tears in their eyes say, I just, I know my part in it, I regret my part in it, I know part of it at least is my fault and I never thought this would happen to me But now I find myself divorced. I'm praying that God would speak grace to you today. Or perhaps it's a certain sin. Maybe it's a sin you committed a long time ago, and maybe that immediate storm is over, but the dark clouds are kind of always there. It's always there in the background. It kind of shuts out some of the warmth of God's light coming down into your life. Because of that sin, maybe it was a sin you just committed last night. I don't know. You brought the storm upon yourself and brought the dark clouds there. Or maybe you just made some really poor decisions. And your life fell apart and now you really can't imagine the sun ever shining again. So. Do you have a failure like this in your life? That's what I want to zero in on today. Storms that really are partly, mostly, or entirely our own fault. And this morning what I am praying is that God in his grace, and I believe he's going to do this, speak some huge grace to you and bring some healing to some major parts of your life. So whatever your failure might be, I want want you to see this morning that that failure does not have to be a defining mark of your life. Or even if it is a major thing, God wants to take that failure to redeem it, not just for his own glory, but for your good, and also, we're going to see this, for the good of other people. That's the kind of God he is. And so to show you this, I want to look at the life of a man in the Bible named John Mark. Maybe you don't know who John Mark is. He is the guy who wrote what we call the book of Mark. John Mark. Now, the thing about John Mark is his life was going really well. He made a critical mistake. That critical mistake really caused a lot of damage, and a lot of consequences followed because of his failure. But in the end, God redeems him, reconciles him with other people, and makes him very useful in the service and cause of Christ. Now the reason why we didn't have a scripture reading this morning is because there is no kind of one scripture where you can tell the story of John Mark. Maybe like when Thomas appears to Christ or Paul on the road to Damascus or something. There is no part of the New Testament you can go to where you can just read the story of John Mark. Rather, if you really read the New Testament closely, you'll notice John Mark keeps popping up all through the New Testament. Letters that span decades. His name keeps popping up. A little phrase about him here. A little phrase about him there. And when you put them all together, you can kind of stitch together John Mark's story. So that's what I want to do this morning is to tell you the story of John Mark, show you his failures, show how God redeemed him. So let's hear this so that we might also experience God's grace and healing in our own lives. Mark's story can be told in four acts. So let's begin then with act one, which I'll call a great start. A great start. Now I'm calling act one of his story a great start because that's exactly what happened. Tremendous beginnings for this man. Now before we get into it, a quick note about his name, John Mark. It was very common in New Testament times to have two first names. Not a first and a last name, but two first names. So John was his Hebrew name. It's what his friends and his family would have called him. Mark was his Greek name because people spoke more than one language in that culture. And so Mark is what people would have called him in the business world or in the wider world. So I'm just going to call him Mark because most of us know him as Mark because he wrote the book of Mark. Now, his great start began with the fact that he came from a pretty incredible family. His mother was a woman named Mary, not the Virgin Mary, not any of the other Marys you're probably thinking of, but clearly Mary must have been a wealthy woman because she owned a house in the city of Jerusalem, one of the most expensive things you could have done in those times. She must have also been a very strong Christian because the early church met in her house in Jerusalem. You might recall a little story about Peter, when Peter was miraculously delivered out of prison after the day of Pentecost. Uh, We read in Acts 12, verse 12, that Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, that's John Mark, whose other name was Mark, there you go, just for clarity, where many were gathered together and were praying. So Mary's house is kind of the center of the church in Jerusalem. Really important woman. This is the house that John Mark has grown up in. It's possible that Mary's house was the room where Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Last Supper. It's possible that it was Mary's house where the uh, the 120 disciples met in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Not sure, but very possible considering the place that her house had following the day of Pentecost. What a blessing! To be born and raised into a Christian home like John Mark was. You know, for many years, I really thought my testimony, my life story of God's grace was really quite boring. And it's because, you know, growing up I would hear, this was in the 80s, and so one of the evangelistic strategies of the 80s was always to get some famous person who totally rejected Christ tell their story how they came to Christ and send them around to youth groups and things like that. This was the era we watched The Cross and the Switchblade, for those of you who remember that, the movie or the book. All these really dramatic conversion stories. Someone who was into just sex and drugs and living against Christ and then dramatically converted like the Apostle Paul. And we'd hear all these stories, and they're great, and there's something really great to be said about them, but it actually had a negative effect on me in some ways. And one of those ways was just to think, well, I don't have a story like that. I and mean, I just grew up in a Christian home. There's nothing spectacular about my conversion. I was like four years old and prayed to receive Christ. There's nothing dramatic about my story. And so I just kind of thought, man, these other people, they know the grace of God, but I don't really know it. But then of course, over time, you start to reflect more and you realize it is a tremendous act of God's grace to be raised in a strong and healthy Christian home. You realize that as the older you get because, for instance, in my case... Meeting friends of mine, for instance, a young woman I once knew would talk about when she was raised on school nights, she'd be up until two o'clock in the morning because she would have to help her parents who were too drunk or too stoned, and she had to care for her parents as a young girl and deal with all the chaos of her home. That's a hard way to be raised. Now, wonderful, God saves her out of that, so she can speak of that grace, but I was spared things like that. I was raised on the Scriptures. I was taught healthy patterns in life and what it means to follow Christ. Our other friends, I mean, we could go on stories for a long time like this, but simply to say, it's a tremendous act of grace when God gives you a dramatic conversion, radically saving you like the Apostle Paul, but, but get this, some of you need to hear this, it's just as great of an act of grace... When God causes you to be born and raised in a Christian home, like John Mark was. We should never pit one against the other. Let's just say they're both great acts of God's grace. So Mark was off to a really great start in his immediate family. But that actually also went to his extended family. Do you know who his older cousin was? If you've grown up in the church at all, you'll know this name his older cousin was no one less than Barnabas. Barnabas, the great early Christian leader. At the end of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, we read these words. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, Paul's writing, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, a much younger cousin, mind you raised in a great immediate family, part of a great extended family. It also seems like Mark might have been one of Jesus' early disciples. We think that because when you read the book of Mark in chapter 14, there's a very mysterious little incident about a young man who is a follower of Christ, who is there in the Garden of Gethsemane with Christ, but was not arrested. Here's why he wasn't arrested. Get ready for some giggles, Mark 14. And a young man followed Jesus with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but when they tried to seize him, he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. All right, so all you young boys, you can giggle right now. This is, this is, see, the Bible's a fun book to read. So he tried to get arrested. They ripped off his clothes, and he ran out of the garden naked. Can't make this stuff up. Now, Matthew, Luke, and John also record Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But none of them, neither Matthew, Luke, or John tell this little story about this young man, this mysterious young man fleeing naked from the garden. None of them tell that story. Mark tells that story and tradition tells us or says to us that the young man was Mark and that he included this in his gospel like an artist who paints their signature in the corner of a painting in just faint faint little ways so you can identify them. It's Mark telling his own story. We're not Totally sure of this, but it's a pretty good educated guess. One more thing about his great start. Add to all this... That because his older cousin was Barnabas, because his mother was Mary, because the early church had met in his house, he met people, he knew people, and the young John Mark was given huge opportunities for leadership, even as a young man. So there's a big moment later in the book of Acts where the, the early church is meeting in the city of Antioch. They want to send missionaries out to the world to tell the world the good news of Christ. This is a huge moment, the first big, big mission strip. And who do they send? First, they send the great Apostle Paul. Of course, he would be the one to go. Next, they send the well and highly regarded Barnabas. Yes, of course. I don't even know what's the modern equivalent. It's just like Billy Graham going out with Tim Keller, and who are they going to take along with them on their trip? Some no-name kid. So I'm like, maybe he's like 20 years old. It's like Tim Keller's like young nephew or something like that. Paul and Barnabas took along with them John Mark. So we read in Acts chapter 12 these words, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So Mark's Life story is off to a great start. Raised in a Christian home. Raised amongst the first Christians after the day of Pentecost. His older cousin is none other than Barnabas. And as a young man, John Mark, leaves his hometown of Jerusalem, goes out on a mission trip with like the Billy Graham of his century, the Apostle Paul, to be able to go and take the gospel of Christ out into the world. What a great start. But the dark clouds are gathering on the horizon. And the ship of Mark's life is about to enter a storm. That brings us to now act two, which I will call a critical mistake. At first, the journey with Paul and Barnabas was very exciting. New cities to see. The gospel of Christ was going forward in power despite opposition. There were miracles happening Then John Mark is right there in the middle of the action. We know this because Acts 13 verse 5 says, Paul and Barnabas proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John, that is John Mark, to assist them. He's the younger, so he's the assistant. They're the leaders, but he is there. But as the days went on, something began to trouble John Mark. Weren't they getting just a little too far away from their home base in Jerusalem? He was starting to feel the tension of being away from his home. And and maybe Mark tried to talk to Paul about it. Hey, maybe we should just not go any further. But if you've read anything about Paul, you know Paul is going to go to the very ends of the earth to take the gospel. He has no interest in going back to Jerusalem. Well, in Paul's mind, this journey had hardly begun. But in Mark's mind, the risk was just getting a little too great. He longed for his home in Jerusalem. It seems that he was homesick, and maybe he thought to himself, and he started to second-guess himself and say, you know, I just don't even know if I'm built for this. I'm I'm not Paul. I'm not Barnabas. These guys are legends. I mean, they got nerves of steel. They got hearts of lions. But not me. I'm just an ordinary Christian guy. I don't have all the experience they have. Maybe he just said, I'm not built for this. And so somewhere along the line, Mark's courage failed him. He quit the mission and he abandoned Paul and Barnabas. So Acts 13 says this And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. We're going to see in a moment that clearly this did not end on good terms. We don't know exactly what happens. I mean, did did Mark come and have an argument with Paul, and so he just slammed the door and he left? Is that how he left? Or was Mark more of a conflict avoider, and so he just kind of disappeared in the middle of the night, just leaving a note uh, for them to find? We don't know, but what is clear is somewhere along the line, fear overtook Mark's heart, and he quit, and he went home, even as Paul and Barnabas pressed forward. Have you ever had moments in your life where your courage failed you? Where you kind of quit on Christ, so to speak? Maybe like Peter, on the night Jesus was betrayed, when he denied knowing Jesus three times. He, he cared more for the approval and the opinions of other people than he did for actually following Christ. And how many of us have been in that moment when we cared more about being accepted and being highly regarded than we did to be known as a Christian. And so we really quit on Christ in that moment. Or maybe like Mark, we just wanted an easier life. And so we were serving well, we were doing well, but we wanted to just return to a more comfortable life because it's hard to serve Christ. Or maybe we've quit on Christ in the sense that we've devoted ourselves entirely to career advancement and things not following Christ and caring and loving our families and and being part of a church family and regularly worshiping God. Worship has just kind of fallen to the side over the years because we're so concerned about our own reputation and maybe making money or we just chose comfort and relaxation or it's just a plain old sin against Christ. Sins we have committed where we chose that rather than following the road of obedience. Can you think of a moment of failure like that in your life? If so, then you can identify with John Mark when he made this critical mistake. So what happened next? Act three. Act three I just call remorse. Remorse. Mark eventually made it back to his hometown of Jerusalem and probably he was happy for a little while as he settled back into life there. But without giving away what's going to happen in Act 4, we know that at a certain point he must have felt deep remorse over his decision to quit and to abandon the mission that he was on. I don't know, have you ever felt that? It's that moment of failure, whatever that moment may be, when suddenly the black storm cloud now is over your head. You didn't even realize your decision maybe have done this, but now all has come dark and everything has become a storm. Your heart becomes a storm. Perhaps like Mark, you just start to say to yourself, man, if only I had not done that. Why did I do that? If only I could just take that back. Or you think to yourself, if only I could go relive that moment, I would have done this differently and this differently and this differently. Perhaps you've got down on your knees and you've said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I didn't put you first. I was wrong. I was foolish. I do love you, Lord, and I'm very sorry for how I have failed you. Or perhaps, like many of us, you've come to the Lord's Supper and you've heard those words, Christ's body, which is given for you, Christ's blood, which is shed for you, And those words, as great as they are, suddenly just fill you with all the storms inside because you think to yourself, Christ gave himself for me and yet I have not given myself for him. I failed him despite his great sacrifice to me. It's that moment when you feel that remorse like the prodigal son when he's eating with the pigs and he suddenly comes to his senses and he's filled with remorse. Or it's like that moment when Peter, after denying Christ three times, it says he went outside after doing this and he realized what he did and it says he wept bitterly. Do you know that kind of remorse? If you're in that moment now, Or if you've been in that moment, what is it that you should do in that moment? I'll elaborate more at the end. But what you should do is read Mark's story, and then in conjunction, you should watch Disney's Frozen 2. Here's why I say that. They both really show us the same thing. This is a powerful moment. Disney's got all kinds of funny things. But in Frozen 2, Princess Anna has this terrible moment her whole life collapses, she's all alone in a cave, her sister, she's lost her relationship with her sister, everything has gone wrong, she feels abandoned by everyone, all hope is gone and she's in the darkness, feeling like she should give up, and so she sings these words. I've seen dark before, but not like this. This is cold, this is empty, this is numb. The life I knew is over, the lights are out, hello darkness, I'm ready to succumb. That's a storm. And yet she continues singing these words. But a tiny voice whispers in my mind, you are lost, hope is gone, but you must go on and do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. Take a step. Step again. It's all that I can to do the next right thing. That's where Mark was, and that's exactly what Mark did, and what you and I need to do. Mark could not take back his actions, and many of us, we cannot take back what we have done. He knew that nothing would ever be the same again, he knew there were consequences, but what he did was to do the next right thing. And at some point, he packed his bags. He headed back out on the road. It must have taken him weeks. I don't even know, up to a month for the distance he had to travel. And he traveled back to Paul and to Barnabas. See, that's what repentance is repentance is on the one half confessing your sins Jesus I'm sorry please forgive me that's part of repentance but this is what the other part of repentance is repentance is not just asking for forgiveness repentance is taking action it's doing an about face from the direction you were heading and heading in a new direction it's doing the next right thing what actions need to be done What needs to happen to make things right in whatever situation that you find yourself in? So as you think of your life, ask yourself, what is the next right thing? What should I do right now? Like Mark, I'm going to guess if you're thinking maybe right now, all of a sudden in your head, you're like, I know what should be done, but I don't want to do that. Whatever it is, it's not going to be easy to do. I mean, Mark is miles away. Should I go all the way back, all that travel, all the hassles, and then have to be you know, all shame-faced standing before Paul and Barnabas and tell him I'm wrong? That is not an easy thing to do. But taking those steps, that's one of the big keys to moving beyond your past, to be moving beyond the failures and finding the healing that you truly desire. So that brings us then to the final act in Mark's story, Act four, I will call it restoration. Restoration. Somehow, John Mark finds Paul and Barnabas after probably a few weeks of travel and they they received him right away. His cousin Barnabas, in fact, was very pleased to see him and then they began to talk about going on the next mission trip and Barnabas, of course, wanted to bring John Mark along. He's with us now. And all of a sudden, the conversation ended because Paul said, he's not coming with us. I'll read you the verses in a moment of what happened here, but we can kind of imagine this conversation. It probably went something like this. Paul would have said, it's great to have you back with us, Mark. Thrilled to have you back, but you can't come with us on this next mission trip. Barnabas probably interrupted him. Why not, Paul? I mean, Mark's seen his mistake. He's taken the right step. I mean, he's traveled all the way back to see us. I mean, Paul, why can't you forgive him? And Paul would have said, It's not about forgiveness, Barnabas. That's not the situation here. I forgive him, but that doesn't mean now he can be a leader. He's shown that he cannot be counted on. And Barnabas would have said back to him, Paul, come on. I think he deserves a second chance. After all, Paul, I was the one who vouched for you when you first were converted and all the other apostles were a little afraid to meet with you. I stood there beside you. Why can't you stand now beside John Mark? I'm sure Paul said something like, well, I agree he deserves a second chance, but Barnabas, come on. I mean, the mission we are on, this is one of the most critical missions of our early church movement moving forward. This requires absolute dedication. We need people that can be trusted. I think Barnabas should just go serve in a smaller leadership position. I endorse that. That's great. And when he shows he can be trustworthy, then he can come on these kind of missions again. And I'm sure then that the tension just began to rise and Barnabas would have said something like, Paul, you... You talk about Christ reconciling the world to himself and now you're not even going to reconcile entirely with John Mark doesn't reconciliation mean giving him another chance and Paul would have said something like come on Barnabas are you kidding me right now this is not about reconciliation this is about being trustworthy being counted on and that's what we need he's not coming end of discussion that's the tone of the conversation anyways because we read these words in Acts 15. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn, who had quit, who had abandoned them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp, a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Paul and Barnabas separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. What a moment. Who was right and who was wrong in that situation? People line up on both sides. Like so many of those church situations where we say, okay, I can see both sides to this issue, and it's just super unfortunate that this has now happened. A sharp disagreement between them. But what is clear is that all of this is part of the consequences that John Mark has to face for his decisions, for his critical mistake, because we all reap what we sow. But notice here from John Mark's side of things... John Mark is doing all that he can to make things right. Just from his angle, that is what we need to say. And this is the good thing. This is what he should be commended for. And it's the same for us. If there are steps that we can take to make things right from whatever those past failures may be, we've got to do the next right thing and take the steps. And and sometimes we, we will say... Well, I'm going to try to make things right, but sometimes they just can't fully be made right. That's the hard thing about life in this world, but that does not mean we do not take the steps. So, for instance, if you're at odds with someone and you think, I need to go try to make things right, you just do the next right thing, you try, and if it can't happen, you let it sit for a while, and maybe you try again a little while later. You take the, need, you take the steps that need to be taken in that moment and realizing that there might be hard consequences that still you have to reap what you sow from the actions you took, but you still, the path to freedom, the path to healing, means you still take those steps and you face the consequences, whatever they may be. In John Mark's story, though, over time, here's what happens. Everything begins to get restored and I've seen this so many times too, so often people do not take the step to do the next right thing, and so it leaves a trail of debris in their lives. They never try to do anything to make it right. They just think, well, hopefully time will heal all wounds, or it's just too hard to deal with, and things never really get restored in that kind of moment. Conversely, when people say, all right, I'm going to try to own up to my mistakes, I'm going to try to make things right, what typically happens is parts of it get healed, typically not all of it, like with John Mark's story right away here. Parts of it get healed, but that person begins to grow through it, and there's healing and there's restoration that happens, even if it's not the entire situation. Over the years, though, with John Mark, more and more restoration begins to take place. And what's so interestingly is that this happens with Paul himself. With Paul himself. More than that, Mark actually becomes one of Paul's most trusted, trusted leaders in the work of Christ. So Paul writes a letter to Philemon, and at the end of his letter to Philemon, he he gives some greetings, and he writes this. Paul writes to Philemon, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, Philemon, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, and what does he call them? My fellow workers. Mark is listed amongst Paul's fellow workers. Mark, the guy who quit, who abandoned them, whom Paul wouldn't even take on the next mission. Now, later on, he says, Mark is amongst the fellow workers in the cause of Christ. And then at the end of his life, Paul is in prison awaiting his execution. And during this time, it was John Mark that he kept thinking about. Clearly, back into the heart of Paul. And Paul writes his last letter that we know of to Timothy. And he says these words. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. He is like my right arm. He is, such, he is so important to me in the ministry that we are doing. So Mark, who had been a quitter and become useless, has now become useful. But not just useful. It says very useful. Wow. So useful, in fact, That somewhere also along the line, I think probably in the early church when he was growing up, Mark had become really close to the apostle Peter. Really close to him. So close that at the end of one of Peter's letters, he writes of people who send greetings and he adds, and so does Mark. Mark also sends you greetings. How does he refer to Mark? Mark, my son. He wasn't literally his son. But that's how close Peter and Mark had become. So close that Peter calls him a son. Now, here's my take on this. I think that they became so close because their stories were so aligned. Both of them had quit on Christ in the hour of great need. But both of them, by the grace of God, had experienced healing and restoration through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so I think Peter and Mark understood each other well. And when they served alongside each other, they understood one another Not only that, we then read, or you can learn, that the the book of Mark, this story of Jesus, the source behind that book is Peter. So Mark writes the book, but it's Peter's eyewitness accounts that he is quoting. So God takes this man who was a quitter, who was not trustworthy, who could not be counted on, takes that critical mistake of which there's all kinds of consequences, and heals him and restores him. And eventually Mark writes what we call the book of Mark, a book that has led millions of people to learn the good news of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful restoration that is. It's the same for us. Your sins or your past failures do not have to define you. The good news, of course, first of all, is that through Jesus Christ, those sins can be forgiven. Come to Christ and say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. Cleanse me of those sins. I was wrong, and he promises to do that. But that's wonderful news. But even better is the fact that God can then restore you despite your past failure. He wants to, like Mark, make you useful, very useful in the present. See, here's one of the greatest errors I see Christians making all the time. You become a Christian, let's say, when you're young, or actually it could be at any age. You think, all right, I'm going to follow Christ now, straight line towards heaven. But what we all inevitably learn, the hard way is that the line to heaven and falling Christ, we often make it very crooked. Through our actions, through our sins and our failures, it's not such a straight line at all. We mess up that line. And so then what happens is in our hearts, we start to think, oh man, maybe I've missed God's plan A for my life now. My failures have ruined plan A. Now we're on to plan B. But maybe plan B also got ruined because now there's another failure. Now we're on to plan C. But what about that failure? And eventually you just kind of fall into discouragement or despair because you just think, I've wrecked this straight line so many times. My failures are so great, I don't know if I could ever truly be on plan A ever again. But here's what you need to hear. That the God of grace, through Jesus Christ, loves, delights, to take crooked lines and make them straight. He loves to take broken people and heal them. He loves to take failures and turn them into successes. He loves to take those who are not trustworthy and make them trustworthy. He loves to take people that are not useful in his work and to make them useful in his work. So where are you at in this story? Of John Mark's whole story, where are you along the line of that story? Are you in that moment where this deep remorse, you feel like, I don't know if I can even go on with Christ, and here's what you need to hear. First, you need to hear, Jesus receives any who come to him. Some of you need to hear these words of Jesus again today. Let me quote him directly. When he says, whoever comes to me, I will never, mark that word, I will never cast out. Notice Jesus when, he's, when he was on earth and he was going around and people wanted to come to him. He never turned to somebody just go, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. I, I mean, I meant most people can come to me, but not people like you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I'll take in all the worst people. I can receive the worst, but what, what? there's worse and then there's worse. I mean, that's, that's you. Maybe just stay off to the side. No, that's not Jesus. What does he say here? Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever is the most all-embracing term. There's nobody excluded from that word whoever. So if you're in that place of remorse right now, listen to that word of grace that Jesus says to you. Put your name where the whoever is. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the first thing you need to hear. And then secondly and lastly, you need to hear that he restores us. Even taking our sins and our failures, those things that were crooked, and he makes them straight. This is what he does. He loves to do this, to take that which, as we read in the story of Joseph, that which was evil, and turn it for good. That's what Jesus does. So Mark ended up writing a book which went on to lead millions of people to Christ. And you may say, well, I mean, that's great for Mark, but I'm, I'm never going to write a book that will lead millions to Christ. Oh, yeah, you will. You will. Maybe not millions, but listen, your life is a book that other people read, and your life can have a huge impact upon other people and allow God to decide how many people it's going to have an impact on. But God delights to take the worst in us and turn it for his good and for the glory of others. So let's just get practical here. I said at the beginning, my heart, part of one of my hearts, just on my heart as I wrote this, was for those of you who've been divorced, having talked with so many people and the difficulties they've been through. Listen, of course, you need to work it through. Maybe there's some repentance that needs to be done there. But God wants to take the critical mistake and the remorse and he wants to turn it into restoration. He wants to give you a future, so keep tracking with him. And whatever those next steps are, maybe right now you're in the grief of it and you need to work through the grief of it. But in time, I've seen this so many times. Who is it who comes alongside troubled marriages and helps them? It's those who've been in trouble in marriages. Who is it who comes alongside to care for those who have been divorced and just need that support? Who does the best job of that? Those who've been divorced and who've walked through that storm with Jesus and God begins to take that life which had a critical mistake in it and he restores it and uses it for glory. This happens in so many areas. I have a friend, for instance, who almost destroyed his own life and his marriage through addiction to pornography. Now, he and his wife have a ministry to help people to become free of pornography. Talk about taking something destructive and turning it around for good. Who are the people who advocate most for teenage moms? Those who've been teenage moms. Who who are the people who advocate most for the unborn? Those who regret the decision they made to abort their own child. Who comes alongside the drug, uh, alcohol addicted people? Those who've been there, who've been down to the bottom of the barrel and they say, hey, Jesus saved me out of this. Now I want to help other people. Listen, we can go on like this for a long time. The amount of stories that they just go forever. Jesus takes people who've made critical mistakes, who've made their life fall apart, and through his grace, he restores them. And then he begins to use you to make you very useful to help other people and to bring glory to God. So I ask you this morning, where are you on this journey? John Mark's whole story, where are you on it? Maybe you're, you're early on and you just need to admit the sin and the mistake and come in repentance. Maybe it's a period of remorse and you need to hear those words of Jesus That whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Or maybe you're now at the next point. You need to do the next right thing. There's actions that need to take place. You need to do something. Maybe to restore a relationship. Repay some money you stole. Go back, make something right. I don't know what it is. But maybe it's time to take some action. Or maybe now you've been through those steps. And now it's time to begin to serve other people. To take your story and all that it involves... And to say to Jesus, I want to help people who've been in situations like mine. I want to help people now. Use my life for, those, for that cause. Friends, this is the God we worship. This is the Savior that we follow. The one who takes the lines that we have made so crooked and makes them straight. So that in the end, it's always plan A. Because that's the kind of God he is. Who His plan A will always be accomplished, no matter the failures or the sin. What a gracious Savior. Let me lead you in a time of prayer right now. Let's just bow our heads and let the Spirit of God move in our hearts. Perhaps right now let's just begin with a moment of confession for our sin. Just quiet confession where we come before God, whatever that may be, whatever that mistake is, like Peter wept bitterly, like the prodigal son realized when he came to his senses he had done wrong, take a moment, name those sins, and confess them to God, seeking Christ's forgiveness. hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that when we confess those sins he's faithful he's just he forgives us our sins and he cleanses us he cleanses us so whatever those are because of Christ's blood you are cleansed receive that grace realize that you are clean before the Father that those things are now gone. As far as the east is from the west so far, has he removed your transgressions from you? Now just take a moment and just say, Jesus, I want to do the next right thing, whatever that is. Ask the Spirit of God to show you if there's something you need to do to make some things right. It's going to be a hard thing, I guarantee it. Ask the Spirit to show you what it is and ask Him to give you the strength to do it. Let me give you a moment right now to do that. give strength to all these resolutions that maybe are happening right now in people's hearts, things people know they need to do. I pray you would solidify them to be convictions of things that must be done, that even as we leave here later and these moments fade, that that would not fade, but that you would give strength to each one to go do the next right thing, to make things right as best they can, letting the chips fall wherever they may. And for those of you who have been brought through a time like this in your life, like John Mark, maybe you're now in the the stage where Jesus has brought you through this. Let's just take a moment to give praise to him that God would redeem you of your past sins and failures. Just take a moment to praise him and to thank him that he's the kind of God who has done that. Think about where your life could have gone had he not done that for you. And think about all the opportunities he's given you and the ways he's used you. Let's just take a moment... To praise him if that's where you're at in the story. Yes, we say all glory be to you, Jesus. You are our King. You're so gracious. Oh, how gracious you are. That we would come to you and you do not cast us out. That you then take our broken lives and heal them. You bring that renewal through your gospel. I praise you for the uh, the hundreds, the thousands of stories I know of lives that you have redeemed and restored. I pray that you would do that now with each one who is listening this morning. However you would do that, Father, you would restore them, restore their joy in you, restore a new path of service, that you would take our lives and be pleased to use them for your kingdom purposes so that we might lift our voices and praise you, Jesus, our King of kings, giving you the glory. And on that great day, we will look back and just see the story of grace that you have woven through each one of our lives. Oh, we say glory be to you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.